Chapter Twelve of Jerry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jerry by Jean Webster. Chapter Twelve. Half past six on the following morning found Constance and her father rising from the breakfast table and Tony turning in at the gate. Constance's nod of greeting was barely perceptible, and her father's eye contained a twinkle as he watched her. Tony studied her mountain-climbing costume with an air of concern. "'You go with us, signorina?' His expression was blended of surprise and disapproval, but in spite of himself his tone was triumphant. "'You say to me yesterday you no want to climb any more mountain.' "'I have changed my mind.' but this mountain to-day too long, too high. You get tired, signorina. Perhaps another day we will take little baby mountain, then you can go. I am going to-day. It is not possible, signorina. I have not brought ze donk. Oh, I am going to walk. As you please, signorina. He sighed patiently. Then he looked up and caught her eye. They both laughed. Signorina he whispered. I ver' happy to-day. Zach Constantina, she more kind. Yesterday ver' unkind. I go home ver' sad. But to-day I sink. Yes? I sink after all. Maybe she like me little bit. Giuseppe rode the three climbers a mile or so down the lake and set them ashore at the base of their mountain. They started up gaily and had accomplished half their journey before they thought of being tired. Tony surpassed himself. If he had been entertaining the day before, he was doubly so now. His spirits were bubbling over and contagious. He and Constance acted like two children out of school. They ran races and talked to the peasants in the wayside cottages. They drove a herd of goats for half a mile, while the goatherd strolled behind and smoked Tony's cigarettes. Constance took a water-jar from a little girl they met coming from the fountain, and endeavored to balance it on her own head, with the result that she nearly drowned both herself and the child. They finally stopped for luncheon in a grove of chestnut-trees, with sheep nibbling on the hillside below them, and a shepherd-boy somewhere out of sight playing on a mouth-organ. It should have been a flute, but they were in a forgiving mood. Constance this time did her share of the work. She and Tony together spread the cloth and made the coffee, while her father fanned himself and looked on. If Mr. Wilder had any unusual thoughts in regard to the donkey man, they were at least not reflected on his face. When they had finished their meal, Tony spread his coat under a tree. "'Signorina,' he said, "'perhaps you a little tired? Look, I make a nice place to sleep.' You lie down and rest, while the Signor Papa and me, we have lil smoke. Then after one, two hours, I come call you. Constance very willingly accepted the suggestion. They had walked five uphill miles since morning. It was two hours later that she opened her eyes to find Tony bending over her. She sat up and regarded him sternly. He had the grace to blush. Tony, did you kiss my hand? Scusi, signorina, I ver' sorry to wake you, but it is three o'clock, and ze signor papa, he say we must start just now, or we never get to ze top. Answer my question. 
Signorina, I cannot tell to you a lie. It is true, I forget I am just poor donkey man. I play little game. You sleeping beauty, I am ze prince. I come to wake you. Just one kiss I drop on your hand. One ver little kiss, Signorina. Constance assumed an air of indignant reproof, but in the midst of it she laughed. I wish you wouldn't be so funny, Tony. I can't scold you as much as you deserve. But I am angry just the same, and if anything like that ever happens again, I shall be very, very angry. Signorina, I would not make you very, very angry for anything. As long as I live, nothing like that shall happen again. No, never, I promise. They plunged into a pine wood and climbed for another two hours, the summit always vanishing before them like a mirage. At the end of that time they were apparently no nearer their goal than when they had started. They had followed first one path, then another, until they had lost all sense of direction, and finally when they came to a place where three paths diverged, they had to acknowledge themselves definitely lost. Mr. Wilder elected one path, Tony another, and Constance sat down on a rock. "'I'm not going any farther,' she observed. "'You can't stay here all night,' said her father. "'Well, I can't walk over this mountain all night. We won't get anywhere. We merely move in circles. I don't think much of the guide you engaged. He doesn't know his way.' "'He wasn't engaged to know his way,' Tony retorted. "'He was engaged to wear earrings and sing Santa Lucia.' Constance continued to sit on her rock while Tony went forward on a reconnoitering expedition. He returned in ten minutes with the information that there was a shepherd's hut not very far off, with a shepherd inside, who would like to be friendly. If the signorina would deign to ask some questions in the Italian language which she spoke so fluently, they could doubtless obtain directions as to the way home. They found the shepherd, the shepherdess, and four little shepherds eating their evening polenta in an earth-floored room, with a half a dozen chickens and the family pig gathered about them in an expectant group. They rose politely and invited the travellers to enter. It was an event in their simple lives when foreigners presented themselves at their door. Constance commenced amenities by announcing that she had been walking on the mountain since sunrise and was starving. Did they by chance have any fresh milk? Starving? Madonna mia, how dreadful! Madame held up her hands. But yes, to be sure they had fresh milk. They kept four cows. That was their business, turning milk into cheese and selling it on market day in the village. Also they had some fresh mountain strawberries, which Beppo had gathered that morning. Perhaps they too might be pleasing to the signorina? Constance nodded affirmatively, and added, with her eyes on the pig, that it might be pleasanter to eat outside where they could look at the view. She became quite gay again over what she termed their afternoon tea-party, and her father had to remind her most insistently that if they wished to get down before darkness overtook them, they must start at once. An Italian twilight is short. They paid for the food and presented a lira apiece to the children, leaving them silhouetted against the sky in a bobbing row, shouting musical farewells. Their host led them through the woods and out onto the brow of the mountain, in order to start them down by the right path. 
He regretted that he could not go all the way, but the sheep had still to be brought in for the night. At the parting he was garrulous with directions. The easiest way to get home now would be straight down the mountain to Grata del Monte. He pointed out the brown-tiled roofs of a village far below them, where they could find donkeys or an ox-cart to take them back. It was nine kilometers to Valle Dolmo. They had come quite out of their way. If they had taken the right path in the morning, they would have reached the top, where the view was magnificent, truly magnificent. It was a pity to miss it. Perhaps some other day they would like to come again, and he himself would be pleased to guide them. He shook hands and wished them a pleasant journey. They would best hurry a trifle, he added, for darkness came fast, and when one got caught on the mountain at night, he shrugged his shoulders and looked at Tony, one needed a guide who knew his business. They had walked for ten minutes when they heard someone shouting behind and found a young man calling to them to wait. He caught up with them and breathlessly explained. Pasquale had told him that they were foreigners from America who were climbing the mountain for diversion and who had lost their way. He was going down to the village himself and would be pleased to guide them. He fell into step beside Constance and commenced asking questions, while Tony, as the path was narrow, perforce fell behind. Occasionally Constance translated, but usually she laughed without translating, and Tony, for the twentieth time, found himself hating the Italian language. The young man's questions were refreshingly ingenuous. He was curious about America, since he was thinking, he said, of becoming an American himself some day. He knew a man once who had gone to America to live, and had made a fortune there. But yes, a large fortune, ten thousand lira in four years. Perhaps the signorina knew him, Giuseppe Mota, he lived in Buenos Aires. And what did it look like, America? How was it different from Italy? Constance described the skyscrapers in New York. His wonder was intense. A building twenty stories high! Dio mio! He should hate to mount himself up all those stairs. Were the buildings like that in the country, too? Did the shepherds live in houses twenty stories high? Oh, no! she laughed. In the country the houses are just like these, only they are made of wood instead of stone. Of wood? he opened his eyes. But, signorina, do they ever burn? He had another question to ask. He had been told, though of course he did not believe it, that the Indians in America had red skins. Constance nodded yes. His eyes opened wider. Truly red, like your coat? with a glance at her scarlet golf jacket. Not quite, she admitted. But how it must be diverting, he sighed, to travel the world over and see different things. He fell silent and trudged on beside her, the wanderlust in his eyes. It was almost dark when they reached the big arched gateway that led into the village. There their ways parted, and they paused for farewell. Signorina, the young man said suddenly, take me back with you to America. I will prune your olive trees, I will tend your vines. You can leave me in charge when you go on your travels. She shook her head with a laugh. But I have no vines, I have no olive trees. You would be homesick for Italy. He shrugged his shoulders. Then good-bye. 
you signorina will go around the world and see many sights while i for travel shall ride a donkey to valle dolmo he shook hands all around and with the grace of a prince accepted two of tony's cigarettes his parting speech showed him a fatalist what will be will be there is a girl he waved his hand vaguely in the direction of the village if i go to america then i cannot stay behind and marry maria so perhaps it is planned for the best you will find me signorina when next you come to italy still digging the ground in grotta del monte as he swung away tony glanced after him with a suggestion of malice then he transferred his gaze to the empty gateway i see no one else with whom you can talk italian perhaps for ten minutes you will deign to speak english with me i am too tired to talk she threw over her shoulder as she followed her father through the gate they plunged into a tangle of tortuous paved streets the houses pressing each other as closely as if there were not all the outside world to spread in grotta del monte is built on a slope and its streets are in reality long narrow flights of stairs all converging in the little piazza the moon was not yet up and aside from an occasional flickering light before a madonna's shrine the way was black signorina take my arm i'm afraid maybe you fall tony's voice was humbly persuasive constance laughed and laid her hand lightly on his arm tony dropped his own hand over hers and held her firmly neither spoke until they came to the piazza signorina he whispered you make me ver happy tonight she drew her hand away i'm tired tony i'm not quite myself no signorina yesterday i think maybe you not yourself but today you ver good ver kind just your own self ze way you ought to be the piazza after the dark narrow streets that led to it seemed bubbling with life the day's work was finished and the evening's play had begun in the centre where a fountain splashed into a broad bowl groups of women and girls with copper water jars were laughing and gossiping as they waited their turns one side of the square was flanked by the imposing facade of a church with the village saint on a pedestal in front the other side by a cheerfully inviting osteria with tables and chairs set into the street and a glimpse inside of a blazing hearth and copper kettles mr wilder headed in a straight line for the nearest chair and dropped into it with an expression of permanence constance followed and they held a colloquy with a bowing host he was vague as to the finding of carriage or donkeys but if they would accommodate themselves until after supper there would be a diligence along which would take them back to valle dolmo how soon will the diligence arrive asked constance the man spread out his hands it is due in three-quarters of an hour but it may be early and it may be late it arrives when god and the driver wills in that case she laughed we will accommodate ourselves until after supper and we have appetites please bring everything you have they supped on minestra and frito misto washed down with the red wine of grotta del monte which their host assured them was famous through all the country he could not believe that they had never heard of it in valle dolmo people sent for it from far off even from verona they finished their supper and the famous wine but there was still no diligence 
the village had also finished its supper and was drifting in family groups into the piazza the moon was just showing above the housetops and its light combined with the blazing braziers before the cookshops made the square a patchwork of brilliant highlights and black shadows from deep-cut doorways constance sat up alertly and watched the people crowding past across from the inn an itinerant show had established itself on a rudely improvised stage with two flaring torches which threw their light half across the piazza and turned the spray of the fountain into an iridescent shower the gaiety of the scene was contagious constance rose insistently come dad let's go over and see what they're doing no thank you my dear i prefer my chair oh dad you're so phlegmatic but i thought you were tired i'm not any more i want to see the play you come then tony tony rose with an elaborate sigh as you please signorina he murmured obediently an onlooker would have thought constance cruel in dragging him away from his well-earned rest they made their way across the piazza and mounted the church steps behind the crowd where they could look across obliquely to the little stage a clown was dancing to the music of a hurdy-gurdy while a woman in a tawdry pink satin evening gown beat an accompaniment on a drum it was a very poor play with very poor players and yet it represented to these people of grotta del monte something of life of the big outside world which they in their little village would never see their upturned faces touched by the moonlight and the flare of the torches contained a look of wondering eagerness the same look that had been in the eyes of the young peasant when he had begged to be taken to america the two stood back in the shadow of the doorway watching the people with the same interest that the people were expending on the stage a child had been lifted to the base of the saint's pedestal in order to see and in the excitement of a duel between two clowns he suddenly lost his balance and toppled off his mother snatched him up quickly and commenced covering the hurt arm with kisses to make it well constance laughed isn't it queer she asked to think how different these people are from us and yet how exactly the same their way of living is absolutely foreign but their feelings are just like yours and mine he touched her arm and called her attention to a man and a girl on the step below them it was the young peasant again who had guided them down the mountain but who now had eyes for no one but maria she leaned toward him to see the stage and his arm was around her their interest in the play was purely a pretense and both of them knew it tony laughed softly and echoed her words yes their feelings are just like yours and mine he slipped his arm around her constance drew back quickly i think she remarked that the diligence has come oh hang the diligence tony growled why couldn't it have been five minutes late they returned to the inn to find mr wilder already on the front seat and obligingly holding the reins while the driver occupied himself with a glass of the famous wine the diligence was a roomy affair of four seats and three horses behind the driver were three italians gesticulating violently over local politics a new syndico was imminent behind these were three black-hooded nuns covertly interested in the woman in the pink evening gown and behind the three occupying the exact centre of the rear seat 
was a fourth nun with a portly bearing of a mother superior. She was very comfortable as she was, and did not propose to move. Constance climbed up on the one side of her and Tony on the other. "'We are well chaperoned,' he grumbled, as they jolted out of the piazza. "'I always did think that the church interfered too much with the rights of individuals.' Constance, in a spirit of friendly expansiveness, proceeded to pick up an acquaintance with the nuns, and the four black heads were presently bobbing in unison, while Tony, in gloomy isolation at his end of the seat, folded his arms and stared at the road. The driver had passed through many villages that day, and had drunk many glasses of famous wine. He cracked his whip and sang as he drove. They rattled in and out of stone-paved villages, along open stretches of moonlit road, past villas and olive groves. Children screamed after them, dogs barked, Constance and her four nuns were very vivacious, and Tony's gloom deepened with every mile. They had covered three-quarters of the distance when the diligence was brought to a halt before a high stone wall and a solid barred gate. The nuns came back to the present with an excited cackling. Who would believe they had reached the convent so soon? They made their adieus and ponderously descended, their departure accelerated by Tony, who had become of a sudden alertly helpful. As they started again, he slid along into the mother superior's empty seat. "'What were we saying when the diligence interrupted?' he inquired. "'I don't remember, Tony, but I don't want to talk any more. I'm tired.' "'You tired, signorina? Lay your head on my shoulder and go to sleep.' "'Tony, please behave yourself. I'm simply too tired to make you do it.' He reached over and took her hand. She did not try to withdraw it for two, three minutes. Then she shot him a sidewise glance. "'Tony,' she said, "'don't you think you are forgetting your place?' "'No, signorina, I am just learning it.' "'Let go my hand.' He gazed pensively at the moon and hummed Santa Lucia under his breath. "'Tony, I shall be angry with you.' "'I shall be very sorry for that, signorina. I do not wish to make you angry, but I think perhaps you get over it.' "'You are behaving abominably today, Tony. I shall never stay alone with you again.' "'Signorina, look at zat moon up dere. Is it not ver bright? When I look at zat moon, I have always beautiful tots about how much I love Costantina.' An interval followed, during which neither spoke. The driver's song was growing louder, and the horses were galloping. The diligence suddenly rounded a curved cliff on two wheels. Constance lurched against him. He caught her and held her. Her lips were very near his. He kissed her softly. She moved to the far end of the seat and faced him with flushed cheeks. "'I thought you were a gentleman!' "'I used to be, signorina,' Now I am only a poor donkey man. I shall never speak to you again. You can climb as many mountains as you wish with my father, but you can't have anything more to do with me. Scusi, signorina. I... I did not mean to. It was just an accident, signorina. Constance turned her back and stared at the road. It was not my fault. Truly it was not my fault. I did not wish to kiss you. No, never but I could not help it. You put your head too close. She raised her eyes and studied the mountain top. Signorina, why you treat me so cruel? 
her back was inflexible i am desolate if you forgive me this once i will never e'er again do a sing so wicked never 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 constance continued her inspection of the mountain top tony leaned forward until he could see her face signorina he whispered just give me one little smile to show me you are not angry for ever the stage had stopped and mr wilder was climbing down but constance's gaze was still fixed on the sky and tony's eyes were on her what's the matter constance have you gone to sleep aren't you going to get out she came back with a start are we here already there was a suspicion of regret in her tone which did not escape tony at the villa rosa gates he wished them a humbly deferential good night but with a smile hovering about the corners of his mouth constance made no response as he strode off however she turned her head and looked after him he turned too and caught her he waved his hand with a laugh and took up his way whistling santa lucia in double time End of chapter 12